I'm wondering what you might notice about the lyrics to that much-cherished UU hymn we just sang. Anyone? It's a prayer from start to finish, as was number 86 that we sang earlier. Technically, this is a prayer of petition, which asks for something from a power beyond ourself. Spirit of life, come unto me. In this way, it's similar to more traditional prayers of petition. Dear God, please heal this person, lead me not into temptation, save my soul, let me win the lottery, etc. <laughs> On this last request, you might have, uh, some of you might have heard that it's uh, helpful to meet God halfway and actually buy a ticket. You may have also heard that some Unitarian Universalists have a, a modified version of such prayers. Uh, for instance, dear God, if there is a God, please save my soul if I have a soul. <laughs> and some you use would even be more likely to follow the example of a certain seafaring captain who, as a fierce storm raged, realized his ship was sinking fast. He called out ominously to the crew, anyone here know how to pray? One crew member stepped forward. I, Captain, I know how. Good, said the captain. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. <laughs> More seriously, in our reading, Bill Wilson told of drowning in an ocean of alcohol and how, when in despair, he finally prayed for a life ring. It appeared. And in exploring prayer today, I want to first say that I can't, because no one fully can, explain how such an instance of divine intervention and revelation coexists with the world's suffering and malevolence. Why, in the depths of his suffering, Bill Wilson receives a spiritual revelation that completely removes his deadly addiction, while across town, someone else who may also have prayed for help dies from this same affliction, or across the world, a person who regularly prays for divine protection is brutalized or killed in an act of seemingly random violence is ultimately a mystery. Theologians and philosophers have probed this for millennia and in the end have no more than sophisticated conjecture to show for it. So I just feel it's important to acknowledge this theological and moral enigma. Yet for me, the existence of this conundrum does not negate the existence of what I'll call a higher power as a spiritual reality, a power that has definitely impacted my life. And acknowledging this transcendent or transrational dimension of existence has real-life consequences. Remember what Bill Wilson said after his encounter with what he called the great reality. But soon my so-called reason returned, my modern, that is, strictly rationalist, education took over, and I thought I must be crazy. But after questioning me carefully, Dr. Silkworth assured me that I was not mad, and perhaps that I had undergone a psychic, I would say spiritual, experience, which might solve my problem. If he had said hallucination, I might now be dead. So, it's crucial to allow for what theologian Jerome A. Stone, Jerome A. Stone terms transcendence without ultimacy. Transcendence without ultimacy. 
That is, we can live with an openness to transcendent experience as an authentic part of human life without having to speculate on anything ultimate like the existence of God. Like me at times, prominent medieval scholar and mystic Hildegard of Bingen experienced this transcendent dimension in her own life and encapsulated it by saying, divinity is aimed at humanity. Divinity is aimed at humanity. And if we become genuinely willing to seek contact with what Bill Wilson also called a presence, capital P, perhaps we could say that our heartfelt prayers are like painting bullseyes on our souls. I find it interesting that, as in many similar stories, in Wilson's account, he prayed for himself. So as we now briefly explore a few types of prayer, I'll do so from that perspective. This means I won't explore the potential effects of prayer on others or for others. For example, for a sick person to get well, except to note that some studies assert measurable results while others seem to negate such findings. Rather, I'm going to offer a few thoughts today on how prayer might find a place in our spiritual lives. With that, as I noted uh, at the start, the lyrics to Spirit of Life are a prayer of petition, of asking a higher power for something for ourselves or another. This is likely the most common form of prayer, and I'd like to share a couple two-word variations that I often use. The first is, bring it, as in, bring it on. This is what I say when I'm ready for something new to appear in my life. For whether in the realm of relationship or work or creativity or whatever, this sends a soul signal to, again using Bill Wilson's term, the great reality, that I'm open to spiritual guidance. And while I may have a notion of particulars, I try not to be too specific because I've come to realize, sometimes through hard experience, that I may or may not actually know what's best for me. This is in keeping with some Eastern spiritual teachings concerning essence versus form. Basically, this counsels us to focus on the energetic or spiritual essence of what we want to realize and let the spirit of life or the great way, the Tao, bring it to us in the best possible form. Because if my limited ego mind gets too desirous of a specific outcome, I may unwittingly shut out an even better situation. So all this is contained in just opening my arms in a receptive posture, closing my eyes, and saying, bring it. I use the same posture for my second type of petition prayer, except the direction is reversed. That prayer is, take it. Take it. Many times in my life, I have been striving to get something to work out, and it's just not happening. One example is that UU seminarians typically need a semester of what's called clinical pastoral education, often taken the form of a hospital chaplaincy internship, in order to graduate. I was in LA, so there were several possible locations, but with my school schedule and other factors, I could not make anything work. And after another long evening of trying to figure it out yet again, one night I put down my pencil and calendar, pushed my chair back from my desk, and very consciously said, take it. I don't know what to do. Take it. And I let go. 
I can't recall now every detail of what unfolded, but some weeks later, another opportunity securitously appeared that had not been there before. And as I enter the program director's office for an interview, I get a curious feeling. Partway through our discussion, it seems to grow clearer that somewhere long ago, I have met this person, and I finally ask him about it. It turns out he grew up a block from me in St. Paul, Minnesota, went to the same schools I did, knew and graduated from my high school with my older brother, Steve, and in fact, several times had been hung out with him in our childhood home. And even decades later, he always wondered how Steve managed to keep his cool with this annoying little brother around. <laughs> now, one could argue that this was happenstance. And being attuned to transrational kismet, I'd respectfully but totally disagree. And while I needed to demonstrate my fitness for the program regardless, our shared history probably didn't hurt in him deciding to offer me a spot on the spot as we finished our meeting. And he was the best program director I could have imagined, and the schedule worked out beautifully. So if something is stuck or is too much in your life, at the very least, it can't hurt to open your arms and prayerfully say, take it. Another prayer form are prayers of confession and repentance or atonement, which can be boiled down to two other two-word phrases. I'm sorry. Forgive me. In Jewish tradition, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is considered the most important holiday of the year. Starting this year at sundown tonight, it marks the end of 10 days of prayerful introspection and repentance. And the chief reason it's so important is that noting and admitting the ways we've fallen short of our ideals and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me, whether to the spirit of life and or to others, is vital to our psycho-spiritual well-being and to the collective well-being of others and communities. Some people divide, divide the word atonement into at-one-ment because atoning diffuses anger, hurt, and resentment and thus moves us and others back toward wholeness. And at-one-ment has another vital aspect, namely becoming one with our deepest levels of who we truly are and living from that place with awareness and integrity and freedom. Clues to this are often found in our deepest longings. Mahatma Gandhi said, prayer is not asking, it is a longing of the soul. And archetypal psychologist James Hillman even states that our soul longings define us. Tell me what you long for, he says, and I'll tell you who you are. Our longings take vastly different forms, but if we're spiritually awake, they share a common essence, which can be summed up as another short prayer, use me for good. This makes up the heart of our spirit of life song. Sing in my heart all the stirrings of compassion, move in the hand, giving life the shape of justice. There's a poignant longing in these lyrics a yearning to give ourselves fully to blessing the world. Whether the actions that spring from this longing become our career or are more of an avocation, 
To me, this desire is the fullest embodiment of prayerful practice. Herman Hussa summed it up in his novel Narcissus and Goldman, and for me, an, a variation on his words has become a daily prayer. My goal is this, always to put myself in the place where I am best able to serve, wherever my gifts and qualities find the best soil, the widest field of compassionate action. Again, this captures the practice of focusing one's prayers on essence versus form. And if you're not yet sure where your best soil is at this given phase of your life, this determined yet open-ended posture opens us to being watchful for and receptive to the sometimes subtle signs of spirit that can guide us on our journey toward offering our greatest gifts. Use me for good. Our final prayer form today is the type Jane mentioned at the end of her reflection, spontaneous prayers of awe and wonder, which are almost always accompanied by deep gratitude. It's been said that one of the main bugs in our human software is our tendency to so easily take things for granted. Oh, another hot meal. Oh, more clean water to drink. Oh, trees and flowers in bloom. Oh, a comfortable home and loving family. Ho-hum. But the call of the great spiritual teachers is to awaken, if not constantly, at least sometimes, to our blessings, including the sheer marvel of simply existing at all. While by definition we can't practice spontaneous prayers, we can cultivate a state of being that makes us more sensitive to and appreciative of the wonders that tend to elicit these. One way to do this is to take in other people's expressions of such awakened awareness, and the E.E. E. Cummings poem offered as our centering words is a prime example. So in moving toward a close, I'll read that again, then take us through a short meditation on it. Cummings uses the word God, but if you like, you can mentally substitute life or spirit or presence or anything else that works for you. So please center yourself in your chair, maybe take a couple of deep breaths, and take in reading number 504 in our gray hymnal. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt, unimaginable you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are open. When Bill Wilson prayed, he experienced what we might call a divine intervention that likely saved his life. And with the work that came out of that, he has saved countless other lives through all sorts of 12-step programs. But here, E.E. E. Cummings has spiritually awoken not through divine intervention, but through divine attention. 
And this moves him to start his prayer with an outburst of gratitude. I thank you, God, spirit, life, for most this amazing day. I invite you to look outside through whatever window is convenient for you and really try to take in the mind-boggling view that exists there. For the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. And the awe Cummings feels, fuels his gratitude and it's evident in the next stanza's first line, I who have died am alive again today. In other words, I went to sleep. I woke up. How cool is that? <laughs> because I'm keenly aware that some people didn't this morning. And lest we forget, just moments ago, we honored that reality during caring and sharing. So, deeply aware that despite its trials and tribulations, every day of life is a gift. Our poet continues in a psalm of cosmic celebration. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great happening, illimitably earth. This is the sun's birthday. That is, every day we're alive is new. Then his expanded consciousness brings an overwhelming sense of reverent humility as he comprehends his connection to a life force far greater than his personal senses and individual ego. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? This is the same reverent posture that Roger Cowan expressed in our chalice lighting words. When I pray, I acknowledge that God is not me. So Cummings really gets it, and nothing is taken for granted. And at poem's end, he testifies that this state of reverence is indeed a form of spiritual awakening. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. So when he looks outside, he does not perceive a courtyard and some trees. He perceives the unfathomable miracle of all beingness that every soul comprehends in a truly awakened state. Can we see it too, even for an instant? Can we awaken? And coming full circle in this state, a prayer bursts forth from the depths of his own being, which of course is a part of the same wondrous totality. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. We've talked about several types of prayer today. And whatever form or forms it takes for each of us, for each of you, prayerful practices remind us that it is a wonder to be alive. They open our hearts and expand our capacity for joy and delight and empathy, which of course are not simply pleasant personal feelings, 
but ways of being in the world that have profoundly positive effects on others. And because divinity is aimed at humanity, I hope you'll try a number of these forms. Yet I also love these words from medieval theologian and mystic Meister Eckhart. If the only prayer you say in your life, your entire life, is thank you, that will suffice. Spirit of life, come unto me. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Namaste, blessed be, and amen.